0: Aren't you glad that God's goodness chases you? Amen? When you're running, and I don't know about you, but I have ran hard and fast away in the opposite direction of God, and when you start to run away from God, he chases you even harder and faster. Amen? Amen. All right, well, we're going to dismiss uh, the children. They can go on back, and we are excited for them to go back and to... To learn about the goodness of God and Christ and what God has done uh, for them to bring them closer to himself. So that is awesome. We're going to continue our series today as we talk about the gifts that God gave to the church specifically. These gifts are given to the church at large, not any specific local church, but they're given to the church worldwide, they're given to the church at large, and we, um, as we kind of walk through these today, today I think will probably be one of the more evident or obvious ones that you'll be able to point out and say, oh yeah, 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 I understand that one a little bit, Uh, maybe going to clarify a few things, but as I was thinking about this sermon, and Lynn and I were talking about it, you know, if you live in a pastor's house, you hear all of it, and you hear even more, right? Like, should I add this? Should this how, what's this sound like? Was this, you know? And I always, if you've heard me say before that sometimes, a lot of times, I run my sermons by her. Like, she has an internal clock that shuts her down at 9 o'clock in the evening, like, <sighs> she can be anywhere, and at 9 o'clock, her body clock goes, <sighs> so I know that if I run my sermon by her after nine o'clock and she gets it, it's a good sermon. Because if you can understand it when you're about ready to fall asleep, then you should be able to understand it on a Sunday morning when you're all bright and chipper, right? And the snow hasn't impacted you and you're not grumbling and it's not even snowing now. So there you go, right? And she said, but why? Why do we need, what's important? What's the important, why do we need to know about apostles and prophets and evangelists and pastor teachers and why is that important? And then I... <laughs> the real me wanted to say, because it's in here, and Paul said so. And I realized that that probably wasn't going to go over real big. Um, and so I quickly pointed her to verses, um, verse 12, which, why don't we take a look at that real quick. Why are we going through this? Well, Paul said that these positions in the church are to equip his people for the work of service so the body of christ can be built up jesus had a plan these are the positions that he's put in place in the church at large to build his kingdom to equip his people now we're not going to dive into that we're actually as we wrap up this series we'll dive into this verse Uh, but i thought it was important for you guys to understand as we're going through this To Lynn's point, why? Why do I need to know this? Because Jesus has a plan to grow his church in the world and to use certain offices, if you will, to grow that church in the world, to grow his body in the world. And so he gave these gifts or these callings to certain people. Now, these are not the same as, okay, you find... You find in, uh, here in Ephesians, you find the, the gifts to the church. In 1 Corinthians chapter 12, 7 through 11, you find the gifts of the Spirit that he gives to people specifically for their individual lives. In 1 Corinthians 12, 7 through 11, he gives people the gifts of the Spirit. So any number of you may operate in a gift of the Spirit, but far less people are called into one of these gifts as apostle, prophet, pastor, teacher. Those gifts of the Spirit are not to be confused with the fruit of the Spirit, the fruit of the Spirit in Galatians chapter 5, 22 and 23. And so there's some distinction in Scripture between church gifts to individuals and then the fruit our life should be producing. So I wanted to make that Specifically clear, but it's all designed for us to mature and grow spiritually. Now, your spirit, when you give your life to Christ, your spirit is as mature as it's ever going to be. So when I talk about growing up spiritually, I'm talking about the battle between your soul and your spirit. Right? Influences from old, fallen sin, the flesh that has these cravings and these lusts, the Bible says. But our spirit is completely whole, and that battle happens in the soul and in the mind. And so what we want to do, just like any war or anything else, any, any war, like whichever side like has the most ammo is going to win, right? If one side runs out of ammo, the other side is going to win. You have a war going on inside of you. Every human being has this, especially those that have come to Christ They have a war going on inside, and it's important for us to feed our spirit, and our spirit get more ammo than what our flesh has provided in the world. That's why we need to soak ourselves in Jesus conversations, in church, in groups, soak ourselves in worship. As I said last week, if you're listening to country music and classic rock on the way to church, shut it off. You need to be preparing your mind and your family to hear from the word of God. If we're staying up late, binging on Netflix before we go to church the night before, we're not preparing our souls for service, right? You have to be intentional about giving your spirit enough ammo to fight against the world that wants to come in. And so Jesus says, I'm giving you equipment, I'm giving you gifts to the church at large, to help you mature and to grow up. And we'll talk, again, we'll talk more about that in a few weeks. But in Ephesians chapter 4, verse 11, as we talk about evangelists today, you can put that up on the screen, Ephesians 4, 11. So Christ himself gave the apostles, the prophets, the evangelists, the pastors, and teachers. The word evangelist really isn't complicated. It simply means one who spreads good news. One who spreads good news, right? So if you get a raise, let me just dumb this down for you. If you get a raise and you go home and you're excited, you tell everybody, I got a raise, I got a raise, right? I got like a, what if you like got a 30% raise? Like you're like, whoa, right? What would you do? You'd tell people, right? You would. You'd be like, whoa, I, ra- I got a 30% raise. You would become an evangelist of your pay raise, Doesn't that sound goofy? Look, I know plenty of hunters in here who evangelize on their bucks that they kill. Right? Yeah, baby. That's right. Because why? You're good news. I got me a 12-pointer, and I remember I went to my cousin's uh Lynn's cousin's house over Christmas and he hunts. He's got He's got acreage, and so he's just got his own tree stand on his property and backed by a creek and a cornfield. I mean, it's like the perfect setup. He's got a creek with a cornfield and woods. It's like the perfect setup. He's got a camera, and he hunts his own property. When well, we walked in the living room. The living room, the front room, has got the woman's touch. I mean, it's decorated. It's nice. But unexpectedly, this year, I walk in, and there's a 10-point buck mounted right over the couch. Family pictures, flowers. And I'm like, I just, I said, after dinner, we were sitting there watching football or whatever, and I said, hey, Brock, I just, I just got a question, man. What, how did you pull that off? Not how you killed the deer. I mean, like, that is like her room. How did you get your buck mounted in her family room? He goes, well, that's simple. I sent her to Magnolia Farms in Texas for a week, (laughs) and I had it stuffed and mounted. When she came home, there it was. (laughs) And I was like, and you live to tell about it. Like, that's impressive. But he was spreading the good news of his hunt. He was evangelizing for his kill. Now, we have something far more important And far more precious than a 10-pointer to mount on the family room wall. Like it didn't go out, it didn't go down in the basement in the man cave. It it was like right there, right? And I see some of you wives nudging your husbands, don't get any ideas. Last time I'm bringing my husband to church, pastor gives him ideas, right? And so we have something far more important than that. We have the message of Jesus Christ. We have the good news of the gospel, and we should be evangelizing. We should be telling the world of the good news. The stuff that we see going on in the world today doesn't need to happen. But it happens because we keep trying to bring about social change through human effort. The problem with human effort is that it's temporary. The social change through human effort will never last. It won't last because it's not eternal. Only eternal change lasts eternally. Why do we think that human effort and human reason is in a world that is perverted by Satan, that is twisted by Satan, that's mangled up by human lust and greed and pride? Why do we think that humanity is going to be able to solve the problem? It can't. And so Christ comes, he says, I'm going to give a gift to my church. It's called evangelist and evangelism. And they're going to spread the gospel. And they're going to share Jesus with people. Evangelists are not apostles. Apostles will go in and start churches. And, and like I said, they'll put disjointed churches back, put the joints back in place. And apostles will go in and do that type of work. And we talked about prophets and the role of a prophet. But an, an evangelist just goes out and spreads the gospel. That's their sole job. They're not starting churches. They're not prophesying. They're not doing any of it. The, they're just spreading the gospel. It's a full-time person. This is their job. They spread the gospel. Now, it doesn't let you and I off the hook, though. Right? I think probably for our generation, and, and, and I just want to clarify what a generation is. A generation is from the moment you're born, everybody who's alive at the point of your birth, that's your generation. There's no Gen Z there is no millennial. There is no Gen X or baby boomers or the greatest generation. Biblically speaking, whoever is alive when you are born, that's your generation. You might be on the exit or the entry. I don't know which door you're closest to. But that's your generation. This whole idea in church that, okay, we, we need, I, I want to meet with a group of people That are of this age, and I want to meet with a group of people that are this age. That's bogus. You don't find that in the Bible anywhere. You don't find that in the early church. What you find in the early church is people who are in their 80s hanging out with people who are 16, and people who are in their 20s hanging out with people in their 40s because they're learning from each other. There's cross pollination of ideas, cross pollination of experiences. To say that I only want to hang out with people of this age group is to do yourself a disservice. From learning from other people. Everybody's saying yes, but when I talk to you one-on-one, what, <laughs> y'all just, it's the peer pressure of the group, isn't it? Admit it. Peer pressure doesn't go away after junior high. It's around forever. It's called social media, all right? But it's, it's not in the Bible. So possibly the greatest evangelist that we've heard of in our generation would be what? Billy Graham. Prime example. Recently passed away, right? Billy Billy Graham. He didn't pastor, he didn't plant churches, he didn't realign churches, he didn't prophesy, he spread the good news of the gospel. That was his sole job. That's what he did. He was an evangelist. The first evangelist that we find in scripture is in Acts chapter 8 verses 4 through 6. Acts 8, 4 through 6. Those who had been scattered preached the word wherever they went. Now can we just pause right there? did you preach the word while you were grocery shopping did you preach it says that they preached the word to their neighbor when they were at church is that what it says no nah. they preached the word when they were posting something on Facebook they preached the word wherever they went it didn't matter they preached the word wherever they went next verse Philip went down to a city in Samaria and proclaimed the Messiah there. Philip is the first evangelist that we have in Scripture after the ascension of Christ, after Acts chapter 2. Philip went down and began to preach the Word. He was the first evangelist. Philip went down to a city in Samaria and proclaimed the Messiah. Every time you speak of Jesus, every time you proclaim Jesus, whether it's Jesus himself or it's an idea that Jesus put forward, You are proclaiming the good news of Jesus Christ. That is our job. Wouldn't it be nice if we just got saved, gave our life to Christ, and then we just went to heaven? No, it wouldn't. Because then who would be left to tell about it? Heaven would get very lonely. I mean, just imagine the people that were in the upper room, right? They get the Holy Spirit, they accept Christ, they're saved, and boom, Overdone. That's it. You and I aren't sitting here. Hospitals aren't started. Orphanages aren't started. Science as we know it doesn't exist because the gospel didn't spread. Go back to science. When it, The science that we know, modern science. The vast majority of early scientists, Isaac Newton and so on, they were all Bible-believing Christians. If you ever get a chance, read Isaac Newton's commentary on scripture. It's phenomenal. Why did he start? part of what we know is modern-day science because he wanted to learn how God's creation worked. science not that he started science only science existed long before that but modern science so he could understand our Creator and the world he designed we're here so we can proclaim the message of Jesus Christ The the post-it notes that are on the wall, these five people that we're praying for to come to see Christ, we're already, Lynn got a text, she's like, five people that I've been praying for are like asking me about Jesus, and like that's never happened with any of them, with any of them. This is working, and I want to tell you, keep praying for them, keep believing that God is going to reach into their life, and you you are the evangelist in their life. You may not be called to an office of evangelist. You may not be the Billy Graham or whomever, but just because you're not given the gift of an evangelist doesn't mean you don't do the work of an evangelist to spread the good news. And so we find that Philip is the first evangelist. I love what Charles Spurgeon says. Let me, It's not going to be on the screen. I just want you to listen intently. Charles Spurgeon said this, Brothers and sisters in Christ, If sinners will be damned, at least let them leap to hell over our bodies. And if they will perish, let them perish with our arms about their knees, imploring them to stay and not madly to destroy themselves. If people are going to go to hell, let them climb over our bodies to get there. If they're going to be damned for eternity, then our arms should be wrapped around their knees, pulling them back. That's our job. That's our responsibility. If there's a fate waiting for them that's worse than cancer, then we have an obligation to let them know. Well, I don't want to offend them. Would you be upset if your doctor ran a test and he found out you had cancer? He said, well, I don't want to, I don't want to upset him. You'd fire your doctor and go find another one, wouldn't you? And yet every day we're like, well, I don't want to offend anybody about Jesus. Well, then, you, do you really believe the gospel? Do you really believe what the Bible says? Because there's a fate worse than cancer waiting on people. we got to wake up. we got to wake up. We have a job to do. We have, we have evangelism to do. So all are called to evangelize. But some make a living at it because it's really their calling and their passion. And they can't imagine doing anything other than. And when they're not evangelizing, they're like, oh, I don't know what to do. Because it's in them. But all of us have been given the great commission. In fact, 2 Timothy, Paul writes to Timothy. Now, what's Timothy's role at this time? Well, Timothy's a pastor. Now, he, Paul, is writing, Paul, the apostle, is writing to a pastor teacher He says, but you keep your head in all situations, endure hardship, and do the work of an evangelist. Discharge all the duties of your ministry. He says, even you, pastor, are supposed to evangelize. You may not be called to be an evangelist. You may be called to pastor, but you are to do the work of an evangelist. Let me give you an example. You're in the store, right? You go to... I'm going to kind of harken back to the good old days when we actually walked in the grocery store and they didn't bring them to your trunk or to your front door, right? So remember, like, when you'd go into the store and there'd be, like, let's say there was a can of corn that was on the, in the aisle, right? And you, were, you wanted to be a good person. And this was back when we lived the crazy life, when we'd actually pick stuff, up, pick stuff up off the floor and not worry about germs. We would blow on cake and then eat it. Remember those days? It was living wild, wasn't it? Blowing on candles and cake and then we'd eat it. Crazy, crazy, crazy! T- how do we survive that? And you pick up the can, and you're not worried about germs, and so you pick up the can because you realize it's fallen off the shelf. And what do you do? You put it back on the shelf, and then you go on. Is it your job to stock the shelves? Is that your job? No. But what'd you do? You did the work. With a stock boy or stock girl and you stock the shelf you saw it needed done so you did it you're not you're not called to be the stock person who gets paid to do it but you still did it because you saw it needed to be done the same is true of an evangelist evangelizing needs to be done it doesn't necessarily mean you're called to do it all the time every time i had a friend growing up, he's older than me, he's my parents' age, but I remember, like, he was called to be an evangelist. Now, he was no Billy Graham, of course, but this guy could literally go into the store and walk out with two people saved. He just had a calling on it. He had that ability, and I just, to this day, I marvel at it. I'm like, you have the gift of an evangelist. Like, you can go in to a store and walk out with no less than two people saved every stinking time. He was like, "You got to be kidding me! How do you do this?" Well, let's talk to him. He doesn't know how he, he just—it's in him. He has the gift of an evangelist. I go in and do it, and I looked at him like, "Well, you're nuts. You're crazy," and I just walk out. Well, praise God, I planted a seed. You know, I mean. But he would walk out with people saved out of the store, and then. Get them plugged into a church. I don't know how, it it was the Holy Spirit in him. He was called to be an evangelist. And literally, that's what he did. He eventually got a job as an evangelist, and churches supported him, and he traveled, and he did, did that. That was his job. But all are called to do the work of an evangelist. You just may not be paid to be an evangelist. So if we're all called to do the work of an evangelist, where do we start? Where do we start telling people about Jesus? Well, aren't you glad the Bible has an answer? Anybody shocked the Bible has an answer? Anybody? Like, whoa, whoa, what do you mean? Acts chapter 1, verse 8. Jesus says this. But you will receive power when the Holy Spirit comes on you. And you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem, in all of Judea, and Samaria, and to the ends of the earth. Leave that verse up there for a minute. You will be my witnesses in where? Jerusalem. Think of, a, think of a bullseye of a target. This is exactly what Jesus is doing. If you know the geography of the day, Jesus started in a city. He went out basically to the township, to the county, to the end of the world. Jerusalem's a city, Judea would be the township, Samaria would be the county. Jesus just went, Here's where you're going to start. You're going to start with your neighbor. You're going to start with your friends that don't go to church or don't know christ you're going to start with them and then you're going to go out or next ring once you've soaked that you're going to soak your next ring now all of us obviously won't be able to travel and go around the world and tell people about jesus but we can in support of our finances we can support them in our prayers we can support them in our efforts right Maybe you've got a spare bedroom in your house, and you're like, hey, you can use my, you can use a spare bedroom while you're here in town, and you don't have to spend money in a hotel, right? I mean, there's all sorts of ways to support an evangelist who's going about doing the work of an evangelist. In Mark chapter 16, verse 15, it's not going to be up on the screen, but Jesus said, go into all the world and preach the gospel. What is gospel? Good news. What does an evangelist mean? One who tells the good news. If you share the good news, the gospel, then guess what? You're doing the work of an evangelist. We're all called to do it. You may not, being an evangelist may not be like knocking on the door, hey, let me tell you about Jesus. It might be your neighbor has a plumbing issue and you just need to go help them with the plumbing. It might be they just need something simple done and you just go help them. Right? And you might help them for two years before they realize something's different. Who, why are you doing this, right? It's about getting in their world, getting involved in their world, connecting with them, loving on them. Let me give you, I want to give you, you now. I've mentioned Billy Graham. Um, I'm just going to, in, in closing here, before we transition to our next part of our service, let me give you the name of two, two evangelists in our lifetime, in our generation, that have had the biggest impact. Billy Graham is the first, of course. Billy Graham is believed to have brought 2.2 million people to Christ. Think about that. 2.2 million people to Jesus. From the hills of North Carolina, this guy met with every president starting in the 50s all the way up to President Obama. Met with every president pretty impactful another evangelist from Germany same lived in the same time frame his name is Reinhard Bunke probably lesser known because he's not from the United States he's from Germany and he was an evangelist just like Billy Graham and he uh, was an evangelist to Africa and Asia and Reinhard Bunke just passed away about ten years ago five years ago from Germany brought 73.9 million people to Christ in his lifetime, a contemporary of Billy Graham. In his last meeting in Africa, he had 1.6 million people present, and over 50% of them gave their life to Christ when he was pushing 80 years old. We don't hear about him because we're not, we're not from Germany and Africa. We don't hear about that. We hear about Billy Graham because Billy Graham's in the United States. 73.9 million There's a man who lived in the calling and the gifting of an evangelist. When these when an evangelist speaks, they have the ability, as the Holy Spirit works through them, they're like, you you hear it and you're like, oh my gosh. They proclaim the death, burial, and resurrection and the plan of salvation so vividly and so well that people are convicted. They want to give their life to Christ. You say, "But I'm, I'm an introvert, and and I don't really like to talk to people, and I don't, you know, I don't know what to say." Let me just challenge you on that just a little bit. Some sociologists did a study. Pre, this study was done pre-social media, before Facebook and Twitter and Insta and TikTok. The most introverted person in the world, according to this study by sociologists, found that the most introverted person would still impact 10,000 people in their lifetime. Today, with social media, an introvert's introvert is now estimated to impact somewhere around 70,000 people in their lifetime. Everybody has the obligation to do the work of an evangelist, though you may not be called to full-time pay as an evangelist. Now, that was the introvert. You extroverts, the numbers are off the charts. Get busy. I just let the introverts off the hook (laughs) with 75,000. But the rest of you, get busy. All of us should be busy sharing the good news of the gospel of Jesus Christ, whether it's in the classroom, or at the pharmacy, or wherever we are, it's our job to share the gospel and to love on people. Amen? Amen. Well, as you know, we've um, we've been looking diligently for someone to lead us in music and to lead us in worship. And... We've, that, that has been a nonstop thing for us, and we are super excited um, to have landed um, a gentleman who is awesome, he's amazing, um, I've just gotten to know him a brief while, he was an acquaintance. Um, some of you men that were in my Saturday morning men's group, uh, we read and went through his book Into the Wilds last fall, um, and so Brent, why don't you come on up? And I'm just going to give you guys the next few moments. Um, We're going to just kind of do a little sit-down interview here. Um, And I want you guys to uh, get to know basically our new worship leader. First off, can we give a round of applause for our new worship leader? And his wife is Stacy is down here as well. I'm just going to move this because that's like really... I was looking for a Starbucks there. I Oh, sorry. sorry. bring Starbucks. Sorry, I just had to put that in there. Sorry. She has. There's your Starbucks. Oh, she's got one. She's ready to go. Um, So, Brent, um, tell us a little bit, I guess, about yourself, and tell us uh, a little bit of your backstory, if you will, so we can just kind of get to know you, and then after service, he'll be back with me by the back door if you want to meet him, get to know him, but go ahead and share a little bit.
1: I was born in Pennsylvania in 19... and uh, <laughs> just had to put that in there. Um, I grew up in Pennsylvania. My mom was a worship leader uh, in a church for 35 years. Um, amazing, amazing woman. Love God. I'd wake up in the mornings, and my dad had speakers inside the registers in the floor. <laughs> and he put one in my bedroom. And I'd be trying to sleep. You know, on Sunday morning, here's her choir music going in there. And I'm like... Little would I ever know that God would have different plans of music. You know, I I I didn't really want to have anything to do with with um, singing. You know, I grew up, worked in the steel mill, you know, hunted fish, all that kind of stuff, you know, men. And it's kind of funny when I came to college, I worked in the steel mill for three years, came to Anderson back when it was Anderson College before the university and my freshman year, a guy who had been in the Navy for three years, he was coming in as a freshman. We were both 21. He talked me into going and trying out for, I think it was the male chorus. I'm like, yeah, I don't sing. He goes, come on. I tried out and I made it. Nice. So he says, why don't you go try out for the choir? I'm like, I don't want to do choir. He said, There's good looking girls. I'm in. (laughs) So I tried out and made it for that. Got in private voice, private piano. That year, I went to something called NATS, which was National Association of Teachers of Singing. I didn't know what it was. I mean, I grew up cutting my teeth on classic rock, like we were talking about kind of thing. And here I am singing classical music. And then, very next year, I come back after my, uh, my freshman year for sophomore, and a guy knocks on my door. He heard me in there playing the piano, and I was singing. And he said, Hey, he said, uh, my brother and I are putting a band together. Would you be interested in, in doing something together? I'm like, I don't know. I don't know who these guys are. They were from Paducah, Kentucky. And they gathered around the piano. He has guitar, his brother had his bass, and we started singing. And the next thing you know, we sang for the next two and a half years. With a band called Chapman Henderson, and the back then it was Steve Chapman before the Curtis was put in the middle, but it was Stephen Curtis Chapman. And so for the next two and a half years, you know, being around someone who who have, those of you that know him, he's as real as they come. I mean, what you see at Banker's Life when you're seeing him, that's who he is. I mean, he lives it like we were talking mm-hmm. about. Right. So kind of fast forward, you know, I I, I toured with Sandy Patty, a group called One, for years and years. And after, well, let me think, it would have been around 1998, I had been recording with Word Records, and I was touring with Crystal Lewis and Avalon on the Gold Tour. And at the end of that tour, I said, you know what? I'm having a second child. I wasn't having a second child, but we understand. We (laughs) understand that. We got that. And I said, I think I need to be home. So for the next, like, three and a half, four years, um, I was painting houses. Putting in sidewalks, cleaning gutters, you know, to get money for diapers, whatever. So you went from banker's life type places every night to, you know, I mean, literally cleaning poopy right. diapers. Can I say a poopy in here? Is that all right? Yeah, all right. yeah, you can say that. So, you know, just kind of fast forward. Then in 2002, I'd had churches calling me about doing worship pastor. I said, you know, I'm just not, I don't think I'm, I'm wired for that. But this church back from near where I grew up called and they said, man. It's the, the, the rut's going to be coming in before long. You know, I was a hunter, and they, I knew every fishing hole, trout stream, everything there was around the area. And I said, maybe it's time to move forward in something else. And so for the next five years, I went back and I was a worship leader. But the church went from about 200 people to 1,500 in four years, and a 10 to 10,000 people, when we only added one staff member. And so my workload that I had went from you know working 40, 45 hours a week to being 65, 70, 80 hours a week. And over five years, it was, as you can imagine, I burned out. I mean, big time. Left, came back here. But while I was in Pennsylvania, and this is something we were talking about earlier, was I love worship, but I love men's ministry. I love seeing men change, because I believe changed men change men. I really do. When you help that light go on inside of a man, the whole family is changed. Right. Your community, your church, everything going on. And so God put me on a different path doing that for the last 15 years. But when I had left the church in Pennsylvania, it had been such a bad experience with all the burnout and everything going on. I said, I will never do that again. Don't ever tell God never. (laughs) And it's been, I don't know how long ago, Steve, Jack called me on the phone. He says, what are you doing? I said, COVID's here, man. I said, all my speaking events. I said, I was booked crazy. I have a new book coming out. But here we go. I can't speak because everybody canceled didn't think anything of it he gets a hold of me again I don't know how much longer it was a maybe a few months later and he says where are you at with all this and I said you know I I don't know I said I feel like God's changing my heart again he's healing some of the brokenness from the burnout and bad experiences and I said here's where I'm at with all this wherever God wants me to be that's where I want to be I'm done trying to make my own agenda and so the calling for men's ministry hasn't stopped it's a passion. It's something I can't do. You'd find me curl up under right. a bridge somewhere if I wasn't doing it. That's what I do. But God also gifted me to do music. And for a time like this, yeah. Yeah. I didn't call Steve looking for this. He didn't. He was just processing with me. And so yeah. the next thing you know, I, I, I got off the phone with him. Mm-hmm. And if you knew me well enough, I don't just get on the phone and go, hey, Tyson. Right. Let's get together. Yeah.
0: That- and we did. Yeah, and, and that's so important too. You know, you say you, know, you don't get off the phone and just go, "Hey, I talked to Steve, I talked to Steve or I talked to whoever." You know, you sit back and process, and there's a lesson there. There's a lesson for all of us to say, "Okay, well, is God working here, or is it me?" And we pray about those things and we consider those things. We think about them earnestly, um, and I just want to advise everybody of that. Um, that that's so important. But as we come together. We have to think about the worship aspect, right? The music aspect, whether, whether you're in the Old Testament or New Testament, we see we even see where at the Last Supper Jesus led his disciples out singing. That that music is so important to our spirituality and our worship of Christ. Um, what do you what do you think worship is, and what what is worship in the music of church? What does that mean to you?
1: worship is something that when we can get ourselves out of the way one of the biggest questions I've always gotten whenever I was leading worship people coming up and they would say how do you get past being nervous as a speaker you say well if my job is to add value to you that gets my eyes off of me and when I'm pouring into you I don't get nervous and it's kind of the thing with worship is my job is to Bring us to the place where we talked about evangelism, adding, right. adding value to each other. Yeah. But it's about redirecting everything that we have to the one who made us. And, and I, I mentioned to you the other day, I so said, one of the things you're probably going to hear me say a lot is this. One of my beliefs and, and roles, no matter whether I'm speaking, singing, whatever it is, right. which is all a form of worship. Is to help all of us understand that God is who he says he is. And that you are who he says you are. Yes. Because yes. when you can get to that place where you really believe that you are who God says you are. Righteous, pure, holy. Not, not we, we know we have the flesh. Right. But that's not the real you. The real you is the transformed you, the eternal part of you where yes. Christ resides. Because the moment you truly believed, his Holy Spirit came into your spirit. Guaranteeing your inheritance into the kingdom of heaven like it says in Ephesians So when we get to that place to understand who we really are, everything about our worship changes. Because it's no longer about that I sound okay, that I make a mistake, am I too old, whatever it is. That has nothing to do with it. Because now I'm operating out of the place which is the core of who I am, which is Christ in me. And when you go from that place, you can't not worship.
0: Yes. And we had talked at length, actually, in the last couple of weeks about who we really are internally. Do I really believe that I'm a co-heir with Christ? Do I really believe that I am more than a conqueror? Is that, Or do you see yourself, well, I'm just a sinner saved by grace? You're not a sinner anymore. You, you are a child of God. Do you have the capacity to sin? Yes. Do you have the ability? Sure, you do. But your identity is found in Christ now. That should renovate how you see yourself. That should renovate everything about you. And one of the things that you've been big on is renovating men's lives. Because as we talked about, we talked about, you know, and you just said it. Change men, change families, change community. And you've had a ministry for men um, for several years. So why don't you talk to us a little bit about your men's ministry before you lead us out in our final song. Yeah,
1: um, you know, it's been really neat. After the experience I had in Pennsylvania, I walked away from all of it, and I went, you know what? I just need to be doing something else. I was so burned out. I was angry with, with the way the church was done. How the, You've probably seen it before, and I know all pastors experience this because it's a big job. Everyone's knocking on the door. You got some time? Can you do this? Can you do that? And it, it, it got me so burned out. I went, God, I don't know that I can do that again. So he, he kind of backed off, gave me some respite, and said, I want you to work with men. And what's really interesting is in the last 10 years alone from from working with men and doing what I I do events, I'll do men's retreats, wild game dinners where hunters and fishermen come in and we we talk about God and all that kind of stuff. Just in the last decade, I've seen over 14,000 men that I know of receive Christ. 15 years ago, you'd have told me that. I hadn't even probably led 14 people to (laughs) Christ in my life. So you never know. what. So that's what God did? He lit that fire. It says, you know what? We're going to help men understand who they really are and they're going to change the world. And so my passion is I've had a chance to do a lot of really neat things. I was with the the, the Billy Graham crusade doing something back when it was Market Square Arena uh, with Promise Keepers. But in the way that God does it with me is I love the outdoors. I'm an adventurer. And I take those stories and I bring them back and lead people to Christ through them. Steve, you know, I mean, there's so many men that could tell you, I never would have come to Christ had he not spoken to me in this way because I can relate to that. So that's one of the ways in which God's wired me.
0: Yeah, Yeah. awesome. And your men's ministry, your website is men's ministry? It's men ministry. Men. Men.
1: Men's was taken, so I had to go with men. Okay. (laughs) Menministry.org, and you can find more of that.
0: Yeah. And I'm sure that in the future that we'll, as a church, be planning, you know, adventure outings and, and hikes and and the new hunts book, and whatever. And, and there's a, my new book will be coming yes. out
1: on May 11th. It's called "The Roar Within," and it's unleashing the power of who you really are. And that's what we're talking about—identity. So.
0: Yeah, and I—I I would really advise anybody, but men especially. Uh, we went through the book into the wilds as a group of men on Saturday mornings last fall of our men's, and there's just some amazing stories of of. And I'm gonna, we're not going to talk about them, but I'm going to touch on them as a teaser. There's stories of you um, in Alaska being stranded. Um, there's stories of you in Africa and safaris being stranded with lions and all sorts of different things. That Go get the book. It's called Into the Wilds. And he just you work marvelously. You work these stories of these hunts and these adventures into the gospel of Jesus Christ.
1: And they're not just for men. That's who I'm focused on. But right. Think,
0: yeah. Yeah, no, 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 yeah, the the message in the book, yeah, the message in the book is for anybody who's sucking wind. Yeah. Yes, but. This isn't a, it's a background thing. He didn't know I was going to bring this up, okay, this is totally, I just brought this up, but I would, I I would just encourage you that if you're a man, if you're an outdoorsman or, or any kind of man, just get the book,
1: was that weird? Just any kind of man, but if you're not an outdoorsman, eh?
0: you know. Hey, when you talk for a living, you're eventually going to stick your foot in your mouth, okay? Sometimes you do it one-on-one, oh, yeah. and sometimes you do it in front of yeah. everybody. But, um, but anyway, why don't we just, we usually close out with a song. So what I've asked Brent to do is just close us out with a song that we all might know. So can we just stand and worship?
1: Oh, you know, it's so neat. I see you. Some people are wearing masks. Some people aren't wearing masks. No, it's, I don't know about you, but it has been, uh, my my wife works at St. Vincent, and she um, says, man, every single day I'm in there, I have to wear the mask all day. And my glasses are always steamed up, you know, I can't breathe. But that's what life without Christ is like. I don't know how you can breathe. Unless you really understand who you really are in Him,
2: you know this. This is the air I breathe. This is the air I breathe. my daily bread this is my daily bread your very word your very I'm desperate i'm desperate for and i i'm desperate for This is the air I
1: breathe, Then God says to us,
2: peace be still, when the waters get high, peace be still, when you're questioning why, peace be still. God hears your cries, peace be still, the storm will pass by, peace be still, thank you Jesus.
0: Heavenly Father, I thank you for today, I thank you that for such a time as this, Lord, you have aligned Brent's timing and our timing to team up. God, as we look to you to begin to grow this music ministry from the inside out, the Lord, we know there is a bright and glorious day coming for this church and for this body, both musically, evangelistically, and just spiritually as we can grow and mature and look more like Christ. God, you are about to do something that if you were to tell us We would kill it with our disbelief. But Lord, by faith, we walk out of these doors knowing you have amazing things in store for this body. In Jesus' name, everybody said, amen, amen. Amen. We'll see you next week.